Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Okay, so I want you to just imagine in your world, in your life, you looking at yourself in the mirror, that suddenly things start to happen and you're thriving in your business. You're doing things you love. You're playing in a sport that like really, really turns you on. But in a lot of places, you're finding yourself queer in not only a straight world, but a man's world. From being a CEO and a founder of a business to hmm, playing in a sport that has a ton of queer women in it, but a lot of homophobic men, how would you show up? Well, that's where we're going today on Life Uncloseted, the podcast. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and I'm super excited to get to have this conversation with somebody I've just barely met, but I love everything that she is doing and the way she is kicking ass in the world and doing the stuff that she loves to do. Her name is Meg He. She is CEO of A Day, which is a sustainable clothing company. She calls it a sustainable capsule clothing brand. I want to get into that and what that all means for her. But also, mm, she kicks ass, and I'm going to let her talk about how she kicks ass in a sport that, um, well, it's on that spectrum of, really, I'm going to put you down. So, uh, Meg... So glad to have you here. Thank you, Rick. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you for that amazing intro. Oh, you're welcome. I, I love just like, okay, let's see what they have. And I'm going to kind of go in the flow at the moment that I'm doing this. But um, <laughs> so little Brooklyn girl here. Yay, Brooklyn. Glad to have you here. What's one of the things that being in that lovely little space of the New York City, New York life, that is really like, I don't know, helped you get where you're going in the world of clothing. Let's start there. I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. So I came to New York very intentionally. Um, and it was after a lot of back and forth. So I was actually born in Beijing and then I moved to the UK as a kid. Uh, so I grew up in England. Um, I went to school in England and then I actually lived in California for my postgrad. I did my MBA at Stanford. Mm -hmm. um, and then very suddenly, like uh, after I graduated, so I was 23 at the time, both my parents got cancer within six months of each other. Um, mm. So I actually moved back to the UK to take care of them. And it was within this whole whirlwind that I ended up starting the company with my co-founder, Nina. Um, and then as soon as we launched um, a day, this clothing company, all of our customers were in the U.S., so I was sort of torn with this decision where my parents had, were doing better. Uh, my mother had gone into remission. My dad had just had a stem cell transplant. And all of our customers, I think like 90% of them, we launched and boom, they were like in the US. And it felt like New York was the place that we had to be. And so I made the choice to just move out here. Um, and I absolutely love it. I really knew nothing about it, but I kind of had figured that at some point uh, in my life, I would live here. 
Um, right. It's been a little bit of a back and forth um, at the beginning of the pandemic. So I am Asian. Um, basically, as soon as March 2020 hit, um, when I would go out for runs, people started verbally harassing me. Mm. And I would say a couple of months later, uh, like literally on a week a week basis, I had several friends who were just being like attacked or verbally abused. And so I left New York for a while. I actually just came back this month. Um, it, it, it's a dream to be back, but it's still a little bit kind of scary. Wow. It's interesting because it's one of those things that suddenly because of the color of your skin and how you look, that suddenly you become marginalized even more. You were already there. Let's just be real about this, right? I mean, I know growing up in London, maybe not quite as much because I lived in London off and on for a while myself, but it's one of those topics that's shown up in the podcast over the last year of, okay, if we're queer, nobody really knows that unless we tell them, so to speak, right? So marginalized as a queer person doesn't necessarily happen. But when it comes to skin color, culture, all that sort of stuff, any person of color, anybody from Asian descent or black, Hispanic, you can't get away from it, right? There's nowhere to hide, so to speak. And that's got to be a really like intense, scary feeling uh, to be in that space on top of now we're in this pandemic and now what do I do? I can only go out and get exercise for a little bit. I can't really hang with people. How did that start to like impact you as a person? Did it like really play on your mental well-being? Was it like, okay, I'm going to be a badass and like push through this? Where did that take you in your own head? I think it's interesting because it was really a mixture of all of these things. So I'm quite a small woman. I'm um, my fight weight is 115 pounds. Um, but the interesting thing, so I, I'm a as athlete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu so you know like Rick says I can in theory take people down and after a few years of practicing jiu-jitsu one thing I did notice was you know after midnight I was no longer scared as I used to be right. and I think one of the you know functions of being a small woman is that growing up you're constantly taught to like you know look inside a taxi before you get in is anyone following you home like you know all of these things that you're currently aware about and while I'm still aware of it I'm no longer as scared. And so that was the weird thing, which was as soon as, you know, this um, hyper focus started happening on Asians during the pandemic, I was suddenly just so conscious wherever I went that that was, you know, me being marked out. Um, and it was probably the first time that I really started to understand what that really meant to my identity, not only as a Asian, but an Asian woman and what that has really meant within this heteronormative society in terms of how do I relate to men, but as a queer woman, because I think right. I came out pretty late in my life in my 30s. I've known, um, you know, pretty much since my teenage years that I was queer. And, you know, when I talk to my friends from college about it, they all think it's really funny because I apparently came out to them like when I was 18 and then I forgot about it. And then I came out again. They were like, no, no, you told us like, you know, 15 years ago. Um, because I just didn't know what to kind of do with the fact, right? Like I had gone on like a couple of dates with women, but I wasn't like seriously dating women. So like, where do I put this fact? And like, you know, do I put it in, on which profile do I put it in? How do I right. convey to the world? Um, and so the really interesting thing is that, you know, although being queer is not necessarily visual, right? It is 
visible in terms of how I relate to men, especially. And I think especially in the world of business, which is often male dominated, I would say that often the way I would interact with men was sort of by flirting with them because that was like an accepted interaction. And now I don't really know what to do about that because I'm like, that's not really, you know, truthful or authentic to me. But I know that I would like establish a really great connection here because, you know, flirty flirty is how a lot of like men and women interact with each other so I think all of that has been really interesting in trying to understand who I am authentically which doesn't necessarily negate you know flirting or not flirting but really stepping into kind of who I am and I think it is really extraordinary for me the number of conversations I've had with you know really well-meaning um friends who don't really understand that it is a very heteronormative society and I think it's very hard to really see and understand that unless you do come from the underrepresented side Right. And this, you know, heteronormative plus very masculine centered society is something that as a gay man, I mean, I, I still kind of struggle with it from time to time because I can show up in my, in my world as me. So, you know, big white guy, nobody kind of knows, you know, this, but then as soon as the kind of the cats out of the bag in some spaces, then suddenly the treatment isn't like they're, you know, like being mean or anything, but there's suddenly like this, okay, hi, yeah, nice. But then there's like this stepping aside, especially from guys. Um, I've worked with some people that when I've been around them, because we, we work very remote most of the time, but when we've been together in company retreat spaces, it is almost like this sense of, okay, well, He's the gay one, remember? And I'm like, get over it, guys. I'm not like, number one, none of you are good looking enough for in my book for me to begin <laughs> with. So you're safe, you know? But um, it is such an interesting experience to see this unfold. So in the in the fat, well, I know you encounter this in the jujitsu world. Like you as a small female, it's like, okay, wow, you're taking people down. But there's like this masculine energy in those worlds that I'm sure is like, they don't know what to do with you probably would be my yeah, guess. It, I mean, I think it's interesting because one of the other dynamics in jujitsu is that there is a lot of um, sexual harassment. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, sort of extends beyond your sexuality, right? Like I think the people who are involved with that don't really care, you know, who, who you're attracted to. Um, and at the younger side, there is a decent amount of grooming as there, I, I think it is across a lot of elite sport. Um, but actually, jujitsu is a big part of how I came out. So I met my partner, Margot. Uh, she's a she, he, they, gender fluid, non-binary, um, all of the things. Um, and she's really taught me a lot about uh, you know, gender and sort of sexuality, but uh, it was really like, you know, falling in love with her that helped me kind of come out, a combination of that. And one day I was, you know, looking at some, it was one of these diversity boxes that I was taking from my company and trying to check who was at the company. And I realized that by not being publicly, you know, LGBT, I was also not being, you know, a role model for anyone else who did want to come out. And that I suddenly realized what a huge opportunity there was in representation there. Um, And I didn't really know how to speak up about that or in what way I wanted to represent that. But I would say with hindsight, how I would sort of characterize it is uh, 
Um, I had a pretty difficult kind of childhood and upbringing, and I probably spent most of my like 20s working on myself. And you know, now kind of stepping into my 30s, I really feel ready to advocate for all of these minority groups that I feel like I'm really a part of, but I probably wasn't ready for it then. And I'm so in awe of people who have the confidence and the self-assuredness to be able to come out at an earlier age. I mean, mm-hmm. w- what amazing, you know, uh, self-awareness. Right. But to that point, I came out late too. I came out, I was 36 when I came out and I did come out when I was 19, but that was early eighties different world, completely different world then. And I've talked to many, many people in our queer community who were the late bloomers, right? (laughs) So it's interesting to even hear people prior to my age and your age who were like, yeah, I came out late in life too. And they were living in the sixties and seventies and like, but it was such a different world before that. And it's so interesting to see how we see these things. Yet, since you brought this up, I think it's always an interesting question. If you, you know, and this is like, who can we even predict what would have happened? But from your own perspective, if you had come out earlier, do you think you would be who you are today? I don't, I just don't really even see a worldwide really could have um mm-hmm. but that's entirely on me rather than on society i mean it's Absolutely. a function of both right but right. i would say like i spend all of my 20s not only trying to be so straight but so straight in the very very like as feminine as possible i was basically trying to kind of copy myself into identikit of what i saw in the magazines mm-hmm. um but like you know overly long hair like very like sexual appealing you know clothing right. very body forming but um it was also because i think a lot of the people that i was with you know in the uk i do think it's very cosmopolitan yep. but it's, there is elements of racism and classism and i would say that a lot of the you know wealthier folks there's a huge tinge of um there's a lot of people who are homophobic and i think a lot of that in the uk also stems from um, single sex education and boarding school yep. um, and I mean people would just make fun of gay people all the time like I didn't really know anyone who was really out who was you know in a prominent position there was really no one I could look up to and mm-hmm. I think you know especially uh, my parents I think my parents know actually my mother went to a lesbian wedding the other day and um, you know like you sort of said like those people that you met on a retreat, they put you in a different box. My mother was just so cautious. She thought that everything that she was going to do was going to offend the couple if she didn't do it correctly. And she was asking me, you know, like, what am I, am I supposed to like, you know, wrap this in a special color? Right. Like what is auspicious <laughs> for like, I'm like mother, they're just like the people, <laughs> you know, they're right. like you and me, they're getting married. That's it. Right. Um, but the true thing, she doesn't have any like ill intent, right? She just doesn't know any other kind of queer people. Um, and I think, for me, that was the issue growing up. Like I had met like, you know, maybe one person who was kind of gay in in college and like, that was it. And I had no other role models. And I think the internet was a lot less developed than there weren't all these like, you know, videos where you could Google like, okay, let me watch this person come out or understand this vlog or like the the experiences. I think it was really just like, um, like, you know, maybe there was like lesbian porn, but apart from that, that was sort of it. Right. And the reason I love asking that question when I have a guest like you is because I actually don't feel like I would have been good 
being out at 19. In fact, I know it. I mean, I, I always have this interesting feeling within because I was right at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. I don't think I'd be here because I was too young, too naive. I had not had a lot of sexual experience, even with women at that point. So the fantasy of being with a man and like, ah, let's just do this. Right. And then, I mean, I wasn't stupid. Let, let's say that I wasn't dumb. I knew the birds and the bees for God's sake, but there wasn't a lot of like reality to the sexual experience. So the first guy that would have come along, I probably would have been like, yeah, let's just, wow, let's okay. I don't know exactly what I want to do or how I want to do it. And given the time, I, it could have been like a gun to my head. And so to have like escaped that to some degree, even though past that initial point, I did have sexual experiences like a lot with men, but it was also from a very fearful, cautious space. And when I finally did come out, ironically, I, I met a guy in London. That was the reason I came out of the closet. Um, it's almost like I had matured into it. You know, it was like I was ready. Yes, there's a whole story behind being in that moment, but it's because I feel like I grew into it. Yes, there was a lot of life that got lived being married to a woman and having two children and all this sort of stuff. But there's also a gratitude of, okay, yes, there's a lot of pain that came along with that experience, but there's also a lot of gratitude of, I'm so glad I grew into it so that I could fully be in it. And then now to see where I am now and what's come from that coming out experience to be even doing this podcast is like, if somebody told me I was going to do this, I'd be like, fuck you. There's no way I'm going to be doing this on a podcast, you know? So, um, but I'm curious, given all these little interesting pieces, and I'm going to read something that I found on the A-Day site, because what you just said kind of intrigued me. Like, here you were being this thing, this person in this box, this very feminine, you know, body forward, like, let's play the heterosexual woman role, right? I love this sentence uh, about the founders where it says to give you boundless feeling of confidence and joy where you're writing your own rules and the opportunities feel limitless to me. That kind of like just, I know that's about the clothes and the company, but I almost feel like that's the essence of what you just said. That's yeah, where you I stepped think, into for yourself. I think that, um, you know, and you sharing your story, right. It's almost like you grew into it. Like, you know, you grew into the fullness of who you are. And, you know, at 8A, we make clothing that literally you can do anything in. Like, we're a sustainable clothing company. We have all these commitments to people on planet, but it's more that, you know, each item of clothing is crafted to be, you know, versatile, machine washable, wrinkle-free, lightweight, has all these amazing properties. We use these super fabrics that are just um, absolutely exceptional. But there's a whole concept we have internally about living life outside of the binary, right? Like, in order to embrace the fullness of who you are, it's about all of these things that are, you know, so much more than you could have ever dreamed of. And I think also in terms of how I came out, it was really about growing into it, like the way that I can embrace who I am now. Um, it's so multi-layered and so, you know, colorful in a way that I don't think I could have even imagined when I was younger. And I think, you know, even as a society, like, yeah, we have evolved so much and progressed so much since, you know, any other time previously, right? But there's still a lot of new things which are coming out for queer people and also a lot of things which are really making it really hard for people right but for example in um uh, in lgbt fertility like 
only 17 states actually have uh, a fertility policy and a lot of them don't cater for LGBT couples. And even in New York, which is really a very progressive state that only came in like last year. And so when I think about like the fullness of who I am and I think firstly, I feel, I still feel very strongly with this identifying of like what it means to be a woman. It's very hard to even imagine what that would have been like because would that mean that, you know, I would not have been able to be a mother or like, what does that really even mean? And I think there's so many things here where we're really just kind of tapping the tip of the iceberg, but for the rest of society, they're like, wow, you know, the gay people can get married. Isn't that amazing? Like they're just like us. They don't really understand how, enormous it is and you know especially when I look at my friends where it wasn't like exactly a before and after but I'm like you guys only hang out with other heterosexual couples like are we going to be you know your fun gay friends like gay friends like you know your, your token people that you invite right. to your Christmas party and it does very feel like people don't yeah it's just it's, it's been well they take for granted you know I always say and it's it's that the littlest things that, and we all take things for granted. So let's, I'm going to be real honest about that, but I don't think a lot of people really see that they take for granted being able to, without fear, walk down the street, holding the hand of the person you love to be able to lean over and give that person a kiss in public to be harassed by people and go, I'll oh, get a room. You know, it's, it's kind of that it's the simplest of those things right there. You know, that people don't tend to get. And that's only on that particular, that's only the beginning of all of it, you know, to be able to walk into a restroom and use the restroom because it's the restroom that you feel most comfortable using a restroom in, you know? And I find it so interesting, not that we're, (laughs) I didn't think we'd get to this, but (laughs) since we're here, it's like, I always find it so interesting that these stupid ass bathroom laws are in place when how many, for how many decades have we all gone into a bathroom where it's like, there's only one restroom. So everybody uses the same restroom. Yeah. Like It doesn't make sense to me that suddenly it's like this huge issue, you know, but um, it is such an interesting space to play in. And again, something that I picked up from just like looking at the, you know, the a day website was just what you all have designed. And I'm not a woman, but I, I have two in my life, two girls, there's this essence of flexibility and freedom that I see in every one of the designs. And I've looked at the capsules and all that sort of stuff too, which I think are really pretty cool as, as a guy who's really big. And when I have to go pack for a trip, I can't get away with a carry on most of the time because my shoes alone, it's like, okay, well, two pairs of shoes and my carry on's full. Right. So, and I'm sure you've never had that problem. Meg, so I'm just going to go there with you, girlfriend. <laughs> but um, it's such an interesting thing to see again. I don't think, this is possibly intentional in like, Hey, I'm a queer woman. And so let's, but there's the flexibility and freedom that shows up in the line is just another like example of what if we could all show up with like lots of flexibility and freedom and who we are on the planet. I I think you've really hit it on the head. I think that the, our mission is to make people lives easier mm-hmm. all right and I, I think there's clothing companies out there where they're like wow this is about fashion yeah you know this is obviously the clothing looks great right but we all have so much stuff going on in our lives that we just want clothing to be easy mm-hmm. and it should have the flexibility but it should allow you to do anything that you want and so that's why i'm you know i'm most happy when our customers write to us and they're like wow 
you know, I just, you know, traveled the last two or three months and all I had in my, you know, travel carry on, my luggage was 80 uh, and I wore it every single day and it was amazing. And, you know, here's what it did and here's how it helped me. So we want our products to help people. Right. And so I think that, you know, we when we initially started the company, we didn't really know a lot about, you know, fashion or anything, but we knew that fashion was one of the world's, you know, biggest polluter industry. It's number two. Um, and then we thought about how can we kind of do this better? And really, like, you know, there's a lot you can do with things like recycled fabrics and biodegradable fabrics. And we do all the things we produce in the right factories and the factories that fuel by renewable energy. But actually, the most sustainable thing you can do is just to wear the same clothing over and over and again. But in order for that to happen, you have to have clothing that really lasts for a long time, that it's designed in a way where you can actually wear it in different ways. So you actually want to keep on wearing it. And that's really the flexibility of what we've kind of put together. Um and I think it is incredibly freeing because there's a lot of things that, you know, regardless of sexuality or everything that you have to think about and worry about every day. And a lot of our customers are like, you know, they're doctors and nurses and teachers, and they have so much stuff going on in their heads, and we just want to make it easy. Um, and so actually in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, one of the key nations um, they might even ban me. I don't think, well, they probably won't find this podcast. This is, yeah, but it's, um, one of the key nations in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is uh, the United Emirates, Arab Emirates, where being queer is illegal. Right. Um, and you can, I don't know quite what the prison sentence is, but I, I do know they have the death penalty there and I haven't really investigated because it was scary. Right. Um, but, you know, so they actually have jiu-jitsu as uh, a mandatory sport in a lot of their school system. They have some of the best prizes. Um, I came second at the world championship there last wow. year and a lot of the people uh I, I had you know a black belt world champion message me and she just had a baby with her female partner she said I really want to travel there I know it's the future of jiu-jitsu but I just don't know how I can do that authentically when I have to lie about my partner especially now that we have a child and that's absolutely true and I think the way I was initially thinking about that was how can we break it down from the inside I thought I would win and then start wearing you know rainbow patches on my you know kimono or something but I don't know if that is quite the right well it, do, it does it does bring up those yeah. questions like where do we where do we get to have the impact it's almost like you know there's a lot of Instagram fun video <laughs> a lot of Instagram videos that do that whole thing how you know how to say you're queer without saying you're queer or how to say you're yeah. a racist without actually saying, you know, tell me you're a racist without telling me you're a racist sort of thing. Yeah. It is that subtlety. Like how do we step forward, you know, and yet it, given some things that are happening in our own lovely U S at this point, mm -hmm. like the fear of, are we rolling back in time? Once again, you know, we just started to kind of like crest forward and here we go. And then you see all the trans laws and everything else. And, who knows where we're going, but it is that interesting space of how do you represent without it being, I've always felt like I want to represent, but I don't want to be the in your face representation. I just want to yeah. be, I just want to show up. So especially, you know, on the backlash of, of the hot topics, um, a lot of people in my following universe, especially on Instagram, um, are athletes. So I've been having this conversation, you know, recent about Leah Thomas. Um, and that's been very interesting. So my take on it is very educational. Like it's a lot of content creation that's very like informative and hear the facts. And it was just extraordinary to me, like 
the we actually engaged in pretty good conversation. Like I put out some facts about how the media was, you know, really biasing the story against uh, trans female athletes. But um, every single time I posted about either, uh, you know, trans athletes or even the fact that I had a female partner, like just routinely I would lose like fifty, a hundred followers and I actually started making that into a joke like as soon as I posted you know a new piece of information about um the trans community I would uh, post in stories about okay here's my follower account like how much are you guys gonna bet me how many followers I'm gonna lose over this but it was just really extraordinary because normally a lot of the content that I'm creating is either about sustainability or how athletes can get paid more money which you know is a generally a really good topic for all athletes to follow and it was just kind of alarming to me that as soon as like they knew about my sexuality, they thought that that was a really good reason to unfollow me. Um, so that was a little bit, uh, well, I, I guess it was, I had expected people to be homophobic. I just didn't realize it was to that extent. Right. And sometimes it is, it's that thing you least expect, you know, I don't get it very often. So now here I'm going to say this and I'll get one as soon as I say this, but <laughs> you know, it's interesting Every once in a while, when I say something on this podcast or in my other one for the gay men, um, I'll get somebody that comes after me, right? I'm like, well, okay, so obviously you had nothing better to do than listen to the podcast just so you could come after me. It's like, what's the point here, you know? Um, but I also have learned it's just part of being where we are, you know? This when you put yourself in these spaces where you show up so authentically and you're willing to talk about the things that we talk about whether it be, you know, a transgender athlete and why don't they have the right to be in that sport? And yet I always kind of go the other route, which, okay. I don't know if I really want to bring this up, but you know, it's like, okay, well, so you can dope up and be a per high performing athlete, but you can't be your natural body and be your high performing athlete. I realize now somebody's going to say, well, they're not a natural body. Well, they, they, they are, they just happen to be born in the body that didn't really represent who they were. It just cracks me up. It's like, wow, you know, Meg goes and busts her ass to become this top-notch jujitsu, you know, athlete, but you're not beating her up because she, per se, you're not beating her up because she's a female Asian kicking butt in the jujitsu world. But if suddenly there was a jujitsu athlete that was transgender, oh, it would be, oh, all arms up because this is not what we're supposed to be. I don't, I just, sometimes I have a hard time wrapping my head around those kind of people. Yeah. I you can really, I mean, totally. I think you can really see it in the language because often um, my therapist always used to say, if it's hysterical, it's historical. And right. the language they use, it, it becomes less about people. They suddenly start talking about how it's the abuse of women's rights and how, you know, it like it's so heartbreaking. But how is it heartbreaking to women? And I think I'm so like firmly a, um, you know, I believe that, trans women's rights are such an important part of like intersectional feminism but it, it's just mind-blowing to me the number of conversations I've had with women who are you know on paper so intelligent where they keep on insisting that as long as I read more about women's rights I would instantly be assured that you know if trans women sh sh are not women um, and I, I think that's just really really sad but it I do sad. think that it is our role to have these conversations, right? And I, I actually don't mind it when people get very upset because the important thing is that people are having these conversations, at least thinking about it. Because I, I think that, you know, the first time, um, 
you know, even my partner, when she told me that she was, you know, non-binary, I had no idea really what that meant. And it was really weird. And I remember it landing on me and thinking, gosh, that feels weird. And I don't know what it means. And then I did a lot of reading about it. And I thought about it. And I you know, watched a lot of vlogs. And I watched a lot of transition vlogs. And it's only really like after spending a good like dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of hours watching like transition vlogs on YouTube that I really have some basic level of empathy towards what body or gender dysphoria must feel like. But the majority of people just have never done that. And I think it's a really challenging experience for people to be able to kind of understand a, a very small minority of people who they've never really thought about. Well, that's the thing. They've never really thought about, you know, they're, they're in their box. So we, we think in this box, yeah. but the moment you get asked it, can you think outside this box? It's a completely different ball game, you know? Yeah. And part of it is inviting them. One of my other clients in my speaking world that I work with, She's like, it's, it's inviting them to the table. It's inviting them to the party. Sure. But if you don't invite them to the party, then what happens? You know, what, what suddenly happens? You stay in your party, you stay in your place, you stay in your little box, and you never get the beautiful cross-mixing of there's more than just one way to be in the world. And again, there's so much we're seeing across the globe around people can't you know, they just don't know how to handle being outside of that box. Their box is the box. And this yeah. is the box people should be in plain and simple, especially here across the U S with all these crazy abortion laws and all this other stuff that are now going on, which always kind of surprises me too. back to like, you know, gender nonconforming and, and trans and all this sort of stuff. So it's like, okay, so you don't want a trans woman to have rights because of you know, they, this is, they shouldn't be that in that body, but you also don't want a women to be able to do what they have with their female body. I don't, I don't, the two to me just are such conflict, you know? So maybe you and I should figure that out and heal the world. I don't know. But, um, as we were talking through that though, I'm curious, and I don't even know if you have any stats or even if you want to share them, but, um, do you think a day attracts a, like gender non-conforming trans audience. And the only reason I question that is because of the style of the clothes, they seem almost very, there's, they're not really, I could see them not being perceived as super gender specific. Yeah, I, I think that it's actually interesting because internally I always um, try to push us. I actually think a lot of uh, the models that we use are a bit too femme. Um, I think we do a really great job in terms of ethnic diversity of models mm-hmm. and sort of shape diversity. And, um, but I, I do think, I think that, but, you know, when I shared that, I was like, oh my gosh, our models are too femme. You know, we had, had this huge discussion about what femme actually meant because, it's not actually, it's an assumption that people actually realize they're like, oh, are all women femme? And I think that was like kind of this assumption that some people in the team has. So that was really great. But I think we definitely want to go out with um, more gender neutral items, more gender conforming, but it's really just about your expression to do whatever you want with it. And we're mm-hmm. definitely working on something for pride. So I think that's really amazing. Um, well, I just, I, I noticed in some of the, like some of the outfits, cause my, so my oldest daughter was very much, well, they both are 
very much were into fashion. My oldest one still seems to be a lot into fashion. Thought she was going to do fashion design, all this stuff. And then she's like, oh, no, I'm not cut out for this. But as it, it's always interesting to go look at this stuff. So as I was looking at the site and looking at some of the outfits, I'm like, well, like some of the pants and stuff, I'm like, I could see some guys going that that could be sure. really comfortable, you know, and it doesn't come across so much as and, and because I know there's I've seen other designers out there that they're kind of pushing that. Here's what a man's body should wear sort of concept. And it's not exactly, you know, tight and fit and all this sort of stuff. But I just I found it interesting. Even some of the, you know, tops and stuff. I'm like, oh, I could kind of see certain guys going. I, I could wear that, you know, especially as there's more gender non-conforming people crossing those boundaries. And I know it's just something I noticed. And I thought it was very interesting given the conversation that we're having. Um, yeah, I, I, we definitely have customers who identify as non-binary and men. Um, it's not a like the focus of what we're doing at the moment, but it definitely will be a huge focus in the future. Right. And I think one of the really great things is now I'm able to really, um, as I'm learning more and getting into a better understanding with myself about what does that mean for me, have all these conversations within the team. Because um, we are, again, you know, a female team, it is heteronormative. Um, but uh, like it, the amazing thing is that we have such awareness. So actually every um, two weeks within the team, we have a diversity presentation and it's not diversity in the usual sense. You can do a presentation on anything. So anything from like cannabis laws to gerrymandering to um, human trafficking. And the idea is that we ought to pick a topic that we're interested in and then re-educate the team about it. But, you know, we've definitely had gender presentations and more about sexuality. And I think when we have a team and a culture where we're able to really share exactly how we feel and think and teach the team more, it, that's really what it means to kind of create a better future. And ultimately, you know, when we think about creating clothing, yeah, it's also about the design and giving people the flexibility to wear what they want. But it's also about improving the world, about creating more sustainable clothing, about, you know, donating to um, the right social justice charities that will kind of move to forward, but also just about how can we be better people within it. I also noticed right as soon as I came onto like the main shopping page, you know, the diversity of the models. So like uh, whatever the disease is, I know I'm going to screw this up, but the vitiligo, model the winnie harlow kind of like you know has the skin thing and then because my daughter my youngest daughter works for um athleta and they have gone very much to like hey we're not going to hide that we're uh, we're not going to hide behind not being for the plus size woman as well as like the athletic woman and i immediately as soon as i started looking at the main shopping page i'm like oh right out the gate here there's lots of diversity happening here and it wasn't just skin color either there was just a whole lot of it so that brought me to this interesting concept of in from your own queerness is that part of what drove you to realize this this diversity of the brand has got to be present it's interesting but i would say that um so my co-founder is like a white blonde german yep. girl um and our creative director is also you know she's white caucasian both heterosexual but they they are some of the two people with the wokest energy I've ever had. And I would say sometimes I'm, I'm almost like, I, I am pulling them back sometimes. because <laughs> I'm like, oh, is this too much? Are we like, you know, if there's a thing as such as too diversity, but they, you know, I would say 
have read all the books on like anti-racism and anti-this and that, then they're so open-minded and it's just a real breath of fresh energy to be in a space with such people who really want to push the envelope on all of these things. Um, I remember even in the month that we launched, we had black customers writing us saying, thank you for using you know these black models because there's a lot of different, you know, right. shades of blackness and we were using people who we were choosing to actively shoot with people a number of years ago, like, you know, way before um, George Floyd, we didn't even have any black people on our team, um, mm. but there were all different kind of shades. So it was yep. about, and you know, different hairs, natural hair, you know, long hair, short hair, et cetera, but really celebrating all that it meant for us to kind of be human. And I think that's the really important thing um, in that, you know, people realize that, um, I'm also neurodiverse. Like, what does this mean? And can we see more examples out there of people who are successful and who we can listen to and learn from their experiences who have encountered all the things that we encountered? I think one of the things that, you know, I assumed when I was younger was that if I was this, then I will you know, be a failure in life, right? And mm-hmm. you can insert so many things in there. But I definitely thought that if I didn't marry a white male guy, I would be doomed to failure. Like mm. that was, mm-hmm. and I, that probably, you know, that idea probably came because I remember when I was five, my dad gave me a VHS tape of The Sound of Music and everyone in it was blonde and white. And I assumed that that was what like success meant, that, you know, that was like successful people were all blonde and white and really beautiful. It's so interesting. And the other thing too, that is just kind of, caught my eye as I was doing research and getting ready for this was that there's this genuineness of simplicity that exudes from the brand, which I'm going to make a little bit of a juxtaposition with that to even the simplicity of jujitsu. It's very simple in its approach, at least what I know about it. I've had some friends who were in it, but it's the power of the simplicity that so many of the Asian forms, whether it's karate or Taekwondo or jujitsu, any of those, it's the simplicity of what you do that has the power. And even as I look at the simplicity of the power of the brand, there's these interesting threads that start to show up, at least for me, from being somebody outside looking in. Yeah, I think that's really lovely. A great way to put it. I mean, it's the simplicity on the outset, right? So that you can mm-hmm. approach it and it's very approachable and easy to get into. But as you get into it more, there's so many different layers and you realize how actually complex and beautiful it is. Mm-hmm. And I think similarly to jujitsu, where, you know, you could be performing the same move as a white belt all the way up to black belt. It just gets intricately more complicated. Right. Within our clothing, you know, maybe it's just a T-shirt, but then you realize that, you know, maybe it is a T-shirt that is made out of a fiber, you know, that is actually made from beechwood trees and that is made in a closed loop factory where all of the waste is recycled and there is no external waste and it's powered by solar energy. Uh, and I think that there are many layers in terms of how we, at every single, you know, stage of the production process, take, you know, very thought out measures to make sure that this is really intentional and going to be a product that you love and wear over and over again. But I also, so (laughs) I could also like take this whole piece of that conversation and, and tie it together in a kind of a little bow here of the simplicity of coming out and being who who you are. It's actually very simple because all you're doing is being Mm -hmm. who you are. Mm 
the complexity comes in with all the rest of the bullshit everybody else tries to put around it. I'm just queer. I'm just gay. There's nothing complicated about this. I like men. You like women. You, you like your partner who happens to be gender fluid, and it's very simple. They just don't fit into a box. But the simplicity becomes complicated when other people complicate it. It's that mm. simple. Yeah. You know, even as we're, even as we're watching these crazy abortion laws, everybody's going to go, hey, Rick's really on the bandwagon. Yes, I am on the bandwagon about this because I don't think people get how this isn't just about these abortion laws. Because if these things start to take hold, what else can take hold in our world to impact you that you don't think, oh, I'm never going to have an abortion because I'm a guy. Okay, I get that. But what if that door opens, then what now opens that can come back to you? And the simplicity of an abortion is it's a woman's right. It's that simple. Her yeah. It's her choice. It's her body. It's her conscience. It's her feelings around what she does. I'm not going to hold anybody responsible for that because it's my choice to be who I am too. And yet the complications start when everybody else says, but that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not how you're supposed to show up. I, I'm sure there could be people that go, well, how can you wear the same clothes over and over and over and over again? I'm like, hallelujah. I, <laughs> I would much rather like, and I, and it's interesting because my husband and I downsized tremendously from when we lived in Southern California to now living on the central coast here. And we came to a place where like, we have a very small walk-in closet. And every day I go in there, I'm like, what else can I, can I get rid of that I don't really need? And I have like, you know, I mean, everybody's used to seeing me in t-shirts. That's what I wear. I wear a t-shirt, a very simple, solid colored t-shirt is kind of my standard wear. But I'm okay with that because then I can throw a really cool jacket over it when I go out. Mm -hmm. I can wear it with jeans or I can wear it with a, well, I don't really, I don't really even, I don't have slacks. I don't own, I don't own a suit anymore. None of that's <laughs> important to me. But it's about me making my life really simple. You know, I, I happen to wear untucked shirts because I like the brand. I like the, you know, yes, cool. they're expensive. Okay. In some people's mind, they're super expensive. But I can tell you this, that I have had those shirts for a very long time. And I don't see having to like dump them unless suddenly I'm like, eh, not really into that fashion, but I know even if I did go, okay, they're out of here and I go to a resale shop or I take them to Goodwill or whatever, whoever gets that shirt, they're probably going to wear it for a good long time too, because it's just that kind of stuff. And I, I wish people would start to really see the beauty of simplicity. Yes. We mm -hmm. all want to have our stuff and, and look good and everything, but I always find beauty in the simplest outfits, just the simplicity of stuff. I think there's um, something that we also say on the ADA website and also internally and in that um, the gift of simplicity is about, you know, the, the gift of, you know, time for you to do whatever you want because you make it simple. Mm -hmm. um, and on social media, especially as we, you know, lead into Mother's Day, I remember reading this post which said that um, what this person dreaded was telling her first grade class about her miscarriage. And again, it's the other people which make it complicated, right? Like, I think these are intensely personal matters, which only you get the right to choose what to do with it or should have the right to do it, to, to do whatever you want. And instead, it's, you know, this social and peer pressure that makes it so conflicted. Um, and as a result, you start second guessing your every question. And I remember, you know, 
what was so scary about coming out, I imagine it is for many of your clients too, is that moment where you tell your friends, you're like, oh my gosh, are they going to react in like the right way? Um, and, you know, I was lucky that everyone just told me that they loved me and I should just date whoever I like. They really couldn't care less. But that moment is like fraught up in society and in media to be like the scary moment of like, are you going to get rejected right now? Whereas like, why should other people be a part of this choice at all? Like this is intrinsically ours and this should just be that simple. Yeah. But people don't want simplicity. <laughs> that's the thing that's crazy to me. It's like, why do we comp- overcomplicate all of this stuff? I mean, part of the reason I do this podcast the way I do it, it's like, I don't, I don't want a list of questions I'm going to ask the guest. I want to ha- keep it simple and go, where do we go? Where do we go with this? Let's see. I, I would rather go on the adventure of not knowing where we're going to go and what we're going to talk about and go, that was actually really fun. I really enjoyed it. We had a good conversation as if we were literally sitting down somewhere, having a cup of coffee together. And this is what we recorded. I'm curious for you as you, as you've gone and grown and come out and built this company and done all these things, what's one of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself? I have to do what makes my heart be faster. I think nothing really overrides passion. Um, and if you don't really love something, it will always be a chore. I think, um, I remember in my late 20s, I dated this guy and he used to make fun of me for being an entrepreneur. And he was a lawyer and he really hated his job. And he had this sort of spoof of me, which sort of went like, my name is Meg. I'm an entrepreneur. I love what I do. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that is what I do. And I really love it. And I, I'm happy every day and I'm excited when I get to build my team. Um, but you have to just love what you do. Otherwise, you're just going to be miserable. And we don't have that much time. And we have to be very intentional about it. And as we've been espousing throughout this podcast, you should live life very simply and just embrace what you enjoy. And I think that there are so many things about being a founder, which are absolute privilege. But the primary one is that I really get to choose exactly who I work with, um, which means that I don't have to hire anyone that, you know, we don't love um, and we don't enjoy being as part of our team. And it's just a really beautiful environment where the whole culture is, you know, full of this energy that agrees with everything that, you know, my co-founder and I agree with, which means that, you know, none of the things that we kind of been talking about on this podcast about what upsets us, that just energy isn't there at all. I think that's a really beautiful thing to be able to kind of not only do things I'm passionate about, but create that space for other people. So what's next for you? You've got a clothing company, jujitsu, you know, you got a great partner. Yeah. What's next? Um, so in terms of jujitsu is the world championships in June. Um, but we were actually in a car accident in January. So my training's been very lumpy. I actually haven't gone back fully into training. So we'll sort of see. I, I gained um, some weight. So I'm in a different weight class now. So <laughs> we'll sort of have to see. But, you know, within that time, it actually, that was why I leaned really into content creation online and allowed me to have all these conversations about athletes' compensation and trans athletes. And that's been really rewarding. Um, I'm also on the board of a clean beauty company called Liliana Naturals. Um, very, very affordable, you know, clean beauty. It just launched into CVS. So it's been amazing to see that growth from a baby Amazon brand, you know, into like thousands of store shelves online. Wow. Um, but again, that's just, you know, it's simple. It was friends of mine who bought the company and they were friends I wanted to hang out more with. And it just was such a simple product. It was like, 
an eye cream that really really works and like why wouldn't you buy it as like you know 20 bucks um and, and, and it's really like the opposite of like one of these you know mass beauty brands it was just like really simple so I just want to do more simple things and you know do things that are easy and fill my life with love wow that was really cheesy <laughs> it works it works the simplicity is the thing that I know for me, that's one of the things that's top of my priority list these days. Yeah. How can I make it simple? Like Mm -hmm. don't overcomplicate it. And it's so interesting to watch myself be in that space because I never was like super complicated, but I, I, I can be a drama queen when I have to, I mean, I'm going to just be honest about it, you know? And then like, even today getting, you know, before I was getting ready to do this, I was flipping through emails and stuff and I'm like, Oh, look, you know, Oh, look, this, this show is available in LA. Oh, and this one's available up in San Jose. And, oh, I used to be like, okay, well, we need to be doing, we need to go see all these because I'd love to see all those. And I found myself just going, okay, but you'd like to see it, but do you really want to go and drive two and a half, three hours to see that particular show? I used to go, this is what we got to do because we have to, we have to have seen the show, right? We have to. Right. And just to see myself now, yes, granted, it was easier when we lived in the LA basin area. That was so easy. You know, you do do this stuff. Now we're two and a half, you know, three hours to LA to go see a show. I miss it, but it's like, I don't have to go rush out and do it. Even like we're getting, we're going to go on vacation. I'm like, okay, I could probably use some new things just to wear. And I'm like on the Untucket store going, oh, you know, I really want this shirt. And then like, well, I've got this special pricing thing. I can get another shirt, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm asking myself the question, well, but are you just getting this because of vacation or are you going to get this because you will wear this shirt? And I instantly, the reevaluation, like you're overcomplicating things, Rick. Do you want the shirt? Get it. But if you're getting it just because, oh, I got it this, you know, 20% off, let's get the shirt, right? Right. Is it really worth it? You know, so I've, I've kind of talked myself out of it. As soon as we get down, I'll probably hop back on and go, okay, let's go relook at the shirts and decide if I really want two or one. But uh, anyway, fun conversation, Meg. Really enjoyed I it. Think, yeah, that was is one of the great like muscles that I think we now have in when you come out, right? Yep. You get to do something that's the opposite of the rest of society. Yep. And that means that, you know, you get to engage in this muscle where you're like, am I doing this just because everyone told me to, like, you know, because of the discount offer and now I'm suddenly buying the shirt or do I actually make my own choice here and live my authentic life and actually do what I want to do? And I think it's many ways, it's very similar to being an entrepreneur. Like there's all these fun exercises that they try to put you through when you become an entrepreneur. Like um, one of them is uh, you should go outside on the um pavement and just lie down and you should do it because why not and stop worrying about what people think about you and I think one of the great things about kind of coming out is that you get to do all these things which means that hopefully in the rest of your life you can embrace very intentional choices which hopefully can make your life simple but you get to choose like do I want to do that or not yep I had a guest once say, and it's been, it's been a while. I, I, I probably could, I probably couldn't even find it on, on the podcast, but it was on this podcast. <clears throat> she said, coming out is the ultimate flexing of the discernment mm. muscle. Lovely. And, 
And I thought, oh, that was, whoa. <laughs> I almost wanted to like, hey, Oprah, I got a quote for you here, you know, <laughs> um, because I, I agree. It's like that coming out, you learn to discern so much. Like you discern what's important. You discern how much you love yourself. You discern, can somebody else actually hold power over you being who you are any longer? And I, it was one that stuck with me for a very long. It still obviously does because it's been a long time since I heard that one. But it's similar to what you were just talking about. When we finally realized that who we are as queer people is such a beautiful gift. And sorry, all y'all straight people. Sorry, you don't get that. <laughs> but you have your own stuff that's beautiful, too. And, you know, I have straight friends who are like, yeah, but you always talk about what a beautiful gift it is. Well, we have beautiful gifts. I said, I didn't say you didn't. I'm just saying, <laughs> well, I think being queer and being gay is a beautiful gift that I have. Plus, you laugh at everything I say, bitch. So shut the fuck up. You like what I say all the time. So um, it's fun. But um, so anyway, Meg, again, thank you so much. I'm so glad we connected. I feel like we could just go, hey, let's go hang and keep talking. But um, <laughs> you're clear across the country. But um, so happy for you and the success and the cool things you're doing. So you're going to, I hope you get to compete, right? You're going to try to make it happen. We'll see. Yeah, okay. we'll see. Um, but thank you so much for this conversation. I think oh. it was, uh, you know, my first one in where I really this year wanted to lean in and step into who I am, but really kind of really be able to amplify this voice. Whereas I think before it was really confusing for me. I was like, how do I show up? Do I just put like a rainbow flag on my Instagram profile? Like, how does this work? <laughs> so thank you for, um, yeah, being my first conversation. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it too. Thanks for being here. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.